0: Uh, so that is the theme uh, this morning as we're going to continue our Advent journey, looking at the theme of peace. And uh, just as i was been prepping this this uh, week, I just felt this great longing of God, you know, this almost like ache, where He just wants you to uh, know that peace in a deeper way this morning. And I pray that there'll be a fresh impartation of the peace of God into your life. And uh, and what a good time of year to have a talk on peace Right? I mean, Advent's a silly season in our wider society. But here, as we follow the way of Jesus, it's an invitation for us to, um, to walk to the beat of a different drum and to be people that carry the peace of God. And as I said last week, Advent is actually a season of longing for the arrival of God. So it's a season where we acknowledge uh, the wilderness or the exile or our suffering. And uh, and so the theme of peace is really with us in the waiting and the suffering in that longing and exile of like, Lord, would you come into my circumstances, but Lord, help me carry peace as I wait for you, wait patiently for the Lord. Uh, there's a number of beautiful prophecies about Jesus' birth and about God stepping into our world, there's probably around 300 prophecies connected to Jesus in the Old Testament, which is pretty extraordinary. Uh, And one of the the kind of key texts for this time of year is found in Isaiah chapter 9. And it says this, "For For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So again, there's this prophecy about the reality that God is going to come into our midst, uh, and He's going to, which is just incredible humility, if you stop and think about it for any length of time that the God of the universe would come and such humility, such vulnerability. And he does that because he loves us so much. And uh, he steps in and he's like the Prince of Peace. He's the one that is that like, we try and find peace and in our society, it's like, oh, I can feel peaceful if a whole lot of circumstances line up just right, you know, and there's no conflict at work and all of, you know, we all agree about COVID in our family or vaccines or whatever, then we can have peace. You know, and in that space out of interest? No, okay, you know, so it's like pretty tricky, and yet Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace uh, and steps into our broken mess. He doesn't just step into the broken mess of our world, but he he he's not afraid of mess. The beautiful thing about Jesus, he didn't get born in a palace, he got born in a stable. With, you know, uh, I'm not a huge animal guy, as some of you guys will know. Like I'm in again, which I was relieved you can give us a puppy this morning is a the way of honoring us. It's a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't, please. I know there's some of you like, oh, that'd be great. If you love animals, you won't do that. Uh, and part of the reason we used to have this dog and it just pooped everywhere, you know? And it was like, I like a good lawn, you know? And like, dogs and lawns aren't that compatible because they pee everywhere and they poo everywhere. And then someone's got to pick up the poo, and it was, certainly wasn't going to be me. So we had no one in our family. Oh, stuff it. You know, there's a really little mountains of poo everywhere. And it was like, Jesus got born into that. Jesus got born into that sort of mess. We sanitize Christmas all the time. Jesus got born into a mess. The Prince of Peace was born into a mess. And so if the Prince of Peace was born into that sort of mess, he can be totally comfortable with your mess. I'm so frustrated and over Christians trying to sanitize their lives and present themselves all sorted to other people. You know, the uh, upper click, uh, we have our boys get together every Thursday morning, Wednesday morning, and, uh, and over in Hastings as well from Ryan and the boys. And, like, my favorite parts aren't when people are smashing it. My favorite bits are when we go around the circle and someone's really honest about how messy it is for them right now and how frustrated they are with God or whatever. It's like, brilliant. Yes, God can work with that. But it's when it's all sanitized, I think he struggles because that's his issue with the Pharisees. You don't, you don't fake your way into holiness. You're loved into holiness by inviting God into your mess and all the rest of it. So anyway, so you've got God. He steps into this whole mess. But then let's read Matthew's account of what happens here. Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Ian, I've left the click. It's all yours, mate. Uh, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was, came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, uh, if you've read that well, you're like, what the heck's going on here with the naming situation? <laughs> right, on one level, it's like they're going to give him the name Jesus, uh, and yet the next minute they're like, they're going to call him Emmanuel. What's going on here? Uh, and basically what Matthew's doing here is they're saying, They're going to give him the name Jesus because that's what he's going to do. Jesus is going to save the people from their sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We just took communion to celebrate that. That's the great news of the gospel is that we can be forgiven from our sins. But they will call him Emmanuel because the bigger context is that God is now with us. So Matthew places this story in the bigger context of God. It's like they're gonna call him this, but they'll know him as the one who, that God came and dwelt and walked among us. Uh, and so I don't know what's gonna happen in 2022 in your life or in wider society, Guys, we're only, I think, part way down the hydroslide, you know, of this whole thing. So we have got to just have some pretty low expectations as we go into next year that it's just going to be smooth sailing, right? Uh, and I think we're for a, like, yeah, I think we got long-term implications of the whole thing. So that's a good time to think about how we navigate this with great peace, because the reality is that we find peace. Because he's Emmanuel, God with us. Like if you forget everything else that I'm gonna say uh, this morning, my my whole point is simply this. You can have peace because God is with you. Not because your circumstances are all lined up, not because everyone agrees politically or vaccines or whatever it may be. So no, you can have peace because God is with you no matter what you go through. And in fact, the gift, as I keep saying, of this season of pressure is that we get to learn some of these deep, the, the deep promises of God that He will form stuff in our soul that no one can rob from us. Specifically, love, joy, and peace, and hope. Like Those things can be formed within us in wilderness times, in times of pressure. That's more biblical than, oh yeah, everything's peachy, I can feel this stuff. That's why Paul can be in prison and worshiping. That's why he can be facing impending execution and be fast asleep, because he's learned that God is with him, so he can rest in that. And his desire is that we would know peace. But the million-dollar question of God is how can we just continue to learn to walk in that peace? Because we can have moments where the peace of God, there's like an impartation sovereignly of his peace. And I'm going to pray that we have that this morning. I think He's already doing it. Whereas i like all sorts of stuff, and then we have these lovely moments and worship and whatnot, and we have and it's like, ah, I've got the peace of God. But then, like, how do we learn to walk in that? Because that's what He wants to shape in us as a people that can walk in that sort of peace. Because there's so much that would rob us of that peace. It's a constant battle. Man, I've been fighting tooth and, like, tooth and nail this, this year. Like, I'm going to keep my peace. I'm going to keep my peace. I'm going to keep my peace. And go through all the stuff that we've gone through this year. And it's like, how can I just live that peace? That's not about my circumstances being all sweet or a lack of conflict relationally or whatever. How can I have that deeper peace? Well, I want to talk about that this morning a little bit. And mainly what I want to do is uh, riff off um, uh, a talk I heard by John Tyson a number of weeks ago. Jen actually mentioned it in her talk uh, and he stole it from someone else, which is great. Because he, can you go to the next slide, he talks about this thing called the window of tolerance. And uh, and this is actually a psych, uh, psychological uh, kind of term developed by this guy, Dr. Dan Siegel. Um, and it's an important principle for us to understand when it comes to walking in peace, because that place of peace is found in the space. Now, this is what uh, the idea is. That basically we can... Uh, live in, uh, Outside of the, the, that place of peace, that healthy engagement, the window of tolerance, we can live in a place of hyper arousal. So that's when you just cannot switch off. That's when you're like, you've read something in the news or you felt something and you are tuned up. Who's been there this year once or twice, right? It's like you are just tuned up. No one look at the news this morning, please, you'll lose it straight away. It's like, no, it, that is designed to tune you up. And so then what happens is that you can just get, like, you can't, you can't sleep. You're wired the whole time. And, uh, and it's, just, it's just so full on. Uh, I've been there. I mean, I literally just can't been able to sleep some nights this year. I'm just been so, like, elevated. Sometimes it's from good things. Like, I was so frothed on the response to the building stuff. It's like, yee! <laughs> I was like, Wee! I can't believe Oh, God, you are real. This is amazing. It's really happening. It's, Ooh, well, we did here, right, you know? And you're, uh, You know, after Sunday, I'm normally like, this is all normal. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is if you stay up there, you cook yourself. So you've got to get back to that place of peace and that healthy abiding. But the other place we can go is, um, oh, do you want to go to the next slide, actually, Ian? Um so the next place we can go is get that kind of uh, more hypo sort of side of things where we uh, where we go real flat and and we get apathetic or depressed and we lose uh, motivation and we find that really tricky and um, and I, I've been here a lot <laughs> I probably lean this way a lot you know where it's like oh, I'm knackered I've got nothing left in the tank I'm cooked. Uh, and you don't feel much in that place so it's not a like the, the, the hyper is a lot of emotion the hypo is like you're just you've got your brain and that's about it like your body has left the room or you know you just like you feel zonked and so uh, so you've got so now this is kind of what probably our years have looked like in terms of like <laughs> if you want to track how things have gone um, and <laughs> Uh, That's a pretty great summary there uh, around probably how things have felt this year for uh, probably many of us. Um, but, But in those two extreme states, they're not places of peace. And what the Lord, I think, wants to invite us into is to be people that no matter where we're at, hyped or hypo, high or low, that we can apply certain biblical practices to our lives that would see us come back to a place of healthy engagement, of abiding that place of peace. Um, and, uh, and here's the thing, again, this isn't about circumstances. John in his sermon says this, sometimes God does the miracle, but sometimes the true miracle is that you can get through things that others would fall under the weight of. The miracle is not the avoidance of the problem. Jesus could not be more clear. In this world, you will have many troubles. No, Jesus is wrong. We've got a spirit of faith. No, Jesus was right. You've got bad theology. We live in a broken, fallen world. The miracle is that you have power and peace in the midst of it, not that you get into a special category where you avoid it all. Acknowledge the reality of what we're going through. Don't deny it. But in the middle of it, you can have supernatural peace. That is what we're talking about here. That is so true, and he, and friends, I've just got to say it: you are not in control of most of your life. You are not in control, and I and I feel like the the sooner you can embrace that reality, the easier it is to walk into peace. So much of our lack of peace is, I found for me personally, is me trying to control things on my mind somehow using Jedi Yoda mind somehow. Is that's going to somehow fix my circumstances by me getting super stewed up about stuff. That, that I don't really have much control over. I'm not in control of what's in the news. I'm not in control of political decisions apart from an election cycle every blue moon. I'm not in control of what people think about me. I'm not in control of what email, that email is going to say. I'm not in control of the stuff. And the more that I can accept that reality, the 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 more I can rest in the God who is sovereign and find my peace. So how can we uh, how can we do how can we move from from these extremes and increasingly walk into a place? Uh, where we carry the peace of God. Well, um, this is, you've heard me preach about this a lot, but one of the big challenges in the Western church is actually applying the stuff to our lives, the practices, the way of Jesus to our lives. And I'm just so encouraged and so stoked with how our church is embracing this challenge. It's like, because I think we all have realized that information will not transform you. If information transformed you, we'd have the most transformed Western church in in all of society, in all of history. It's application that transforms you. Information brings revelation, which is great, but without the application, it means jack squat. Uh, And so this is where Paul says this, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or sent me, put it into practice and then the God of peace will be with you. Literally like, uh, and this is, you know, I'm like, if you are like, some people I think are like, Christianity doesn't really work, you know. And I'm like, well, have you actually put this stuff into practice? G.K. Chesterton said it's not that Christianity has been tried and found lacking, it's that Christianity has been so really tried. (laughs) And so, uh, Rich Valota said it like this, the sad irony of our day is we can be deeply committed to being a Christian, but not deeply formed by Christ. Like, Coming to church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus as much as going to donut shop makes you a policeman. It's like that does not, actually, don't disrespect you, Kagan, but it's like uh, that. I love this important, but it's applying the biblical practices to your life that'll see you walk in peace more and more. This is where Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount said, Those who hear these words of mine and do them, they'll be building their house on the rock. So when the storms of life come, and they do, and they will, and they'll keep on, we're in the middle of one now, and it's going to rage for a little bit longer, uh, the house will not be shaken. Why? Because we've applied the principles to our life. And so I'm so, so encouraged by the number of people in our church that are like, yeah, let's do the stuff. Let's not talk about following Jesus. Let's actually follow Jesus. Let's not talk about abiding and remaining in Him. Let's have devotional practices that we're accountable to that see us abide and remain in Jesus and bear much fruit, love, joy, and peace, et cetera, et cetera. So what are some of the things that we can do to help get out of that hyped up zone? Casting your cares is a great way to chill you out. To chill you out, Psalm fifty-five, verse twenty-two says, "Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you." One Peter five, verse seven, cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. It's like if you want to get out of that really stewed-up zone, you've got to get out of your head and before the Lord. Before the Lord. So, uh, so I'm like, man, my journal is stacked with some casting cares this year. (laughs) Like it's. And, and, I, and again, I can tell if you're doing this because I should be able to, you should be able to show me your journal. I, don't, I, look to, I look from a distance, but it's like, and I should be able to see that you're just pouring your heart out before the Lord when you're like in that really hyped up, anxious, stewed up zone. Where else can it go? It just, either it festers in you, and again, the, I've seen people have mental health breakdowns because they aren't letting God have it where they're just carrying it and carrying it and carrying it, and you pay the price for staying in that state for a long time. You're, we aren't physiologically hardwired to stay there elevated for that long. You've got to come back to the place of peace. You've got to cast your cares before the Lord and say, this relationship, Lord, I'm anxious about, or this health situation or whatever, to bring it before the Lord, and then the peace of God begins to fill you because He's Emmanuel. All of a sudden, it's like, God, in this mess, I need you. And so we give it to him and we pour it out and you just feel the peace of God enter into your life. Some of us are doing the Advent devotional right now, and uh, which is brilliant because it's got those two minutes of silence at the beginning and the end of the Advent devotional. And it's not too late to start an Advent devotional or to start a devotional practice full stop. This train stops at every station. You can come on board whenever you want. And I've been banging this drum since I got to the bay, and I'm going to drum the, bang this drum till the day I die, like hang out with Jesus every day. That's when God's hang. That's when the God of peace is with you. And man, that Advent devotional is uh, similar to the emotionally healthy one. Books marks your devotional time with two minutes of silence either side of the. And like, man, if you want a a, a, um, a sobering encounter with the state of your mind in terms of how much of a squirrel brain you've got or how hyped up you are, try sitting in silence just thinking about Jesus for two minutes. Man, I've been convicted in the last couple of weeks. I've been like, oh, I was pretty good at this a while ago. And now I sit there and it's like for t- like Jesus practiced silence and solitude. So I want to put into practice his example in my life. So to sit in silence and solitude is going to help me walk into peace. So sitting there for that two minutes, either I, I, feel like I had to reset it a couple of times in the last week where I was like, the, the alarm went off, and I was not on Jesus. I gone a million miles and a whole different other. I went for a whole journey in my mind on all sorts of scenarios, you know, having hypothetical conversations or thinking about the jobs I got to do. And then, like, ding, ding, ding! I'm like, oh, that's right. I was meant to be sitting with Jesus in silence and solitude. One thing I found helpful was breath prayer. So I just said, still, so I'm like, you know, what did I pray this week? I says, there's some. I literally just make it up, but I'm like, I probably pray something like. um. But the inhale, Jesus, you're with me, you're the God of peace. Jesus, you're with me, you're the God of peace. Jesus, and it just helps me. And then at the end of two minutes, then I engage with a devotional, and then I do the two minutes at the end. Some of you guys are doing this. And then by the time you've done that, it literally takes you 10 minutes to do this. We're not talking, oh, we have got no time to do devotional. lives. You've got 10 minutes. Check your stats on your phone for usage last week. I suspect you'll be able to find, check your Netflix activity. I suspect you've got 10 minutes to hang out with the Prince of Peace that's gonna radically change your life, okay? I don't know where my peace is gone. So I'll hang out with the Prince of Peace, you'll get some peace. know, anyway, sorry, that was a total tangent. But I'm like, Right, just bizarre, they're, 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 oh, no time, whatever, you're not prioritizing your time, that's a whole different thing, anyway, everyone's got the same amount of time, I've got the same time as you. I've got pressure on my time, rant over, rant over Harvey, but at the end of that 10 minutes with the silence and all that, I'm like, you know, and I'm like, it just feels so, I feel like my soul's had a shower, my brain's had a little break from all this stuff, and I'm carrying the peace of God, putting it into practice, and it's like, oh, man. And then by the, two hours later, I've lost my peace, guarantee it, seeing so if the kid's are around, you know, or I have to hang out with you guys, you know. And it's like, oh, okay. So, and it's like, I was I'm out, I need to hang out a little diva at lunchtime, you know. <laughs> Prince of Peace, come on, you know. And it's like, hang out with him and be still again and allow the Prince of Peace to minister to me, wash my feet, just tend to my soul. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm carrying it again. Like, you have an unlimited supply of peace available to you It's just that he doesn't force it on you who invites you to receive the gift of his peace. Will you open the present? Sabbath rest is just another invitation to walk in the peace of God that so few Christians apply to their lives. I've preached about this. We've got a whole home church module on it. I'm like, I thought we were meant to be countercultural. Sabbath rest is one of the most countercultural things you can do and one of the clearest invitations of Scripture in terms of the way of Jesus. It's in the Ten Commandments, for goodness sake. It's right there walking in, Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. Sabbath is a reminder, this is all rich for Lotus. Sabbath is a reminder that our work will always remain incomplete until the day he returns in glory and brings the work to completion. Sabbath is a day that removes remo- that us from production. Like we are most of us slaves to Pharaoh, making bricks. And it's like, well, no, I'm not a slave. Prove it by Sabbathing. And you'll discover that I had to go to counseling Because of how much pharaoh had got on me. In terms of like my worth is tied up in how much I'm doing all the time. Sabbath is a day that moves us from production to presence. Present to God, presence to the beauty and the gift around us. Sabbath reminds us that we are not God, we have limitations. Sabbath points us to the deeper rest we need that's found in Christ. Man, you're missing out if you're not Sabbathing. awesome, it's the ultimate like it takes a few years, it took me about 10 just quietly to get good at it (laughs) don't be depressed, be just the realism of following Jesus when we're deeply broken and and living in a society that's all built around how many brooks do you produce, that's your worth all that sort of thing, but oh my gosh it is the most life changing practice you can put in place in your life that will just inject peace in a very deep way on a weekly level, totally life changing, and so I've banged on about this I'm going to keep banging on about this stuff, again it's putting it into practice. Now it goes very quiet. People kind of like are cool with the Devo idea. Sabbath. Sabbath is like a spiritual stronghold. Sabbath and money, those two things, Woo! Yeah, it goes very quiet. People, you know, don't, don't know if they trust God enough to really rest and you know. And, and I'm like, <laughs> the classic thing, it was a total, total tangent, but whatever. I'm, I'm going there. But you know, the classic thing in the Old Testament, it's like Sabbath was, was punished. Like if you didn't do Sabbath, it was punishable by death. You know what that means? It's a big deal to God. Yeah. And you know what, but the crazy thing is Sabbath is like the most beautiful day you could ever have in the week. And so it's like, literally God's like, there's a whole lot of lollies there that you can eat. And you're like, no, 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 lollies don't want lollies. Lollies are dumb. It's like, eat the lollies. Seriously, it's so good. I mean, that's probably a bad illustration because there should be something better for you. And Andy, don't eat too many lollies. Your diabetes will flare up. But it's like, you know, anyway, let's move from there. So so that's when when we're fully zinging we need to cast our cares, we need to invite the Prince of Peace into our hearts and lives, we need to really lean into those devotional things, and I would say Sabbath rest is key if you just want to just walk into a place of peace more and more. So then how do we come out of that low state where we find ourselves flat or disengaged or we've lost motivation? Again, now this is, you think that that was challenging around walking into peace, this is even trickier in my opinion, because when you feel flat, you can't be bothered doing much. It's hard work. like, like ugh. And this is where, again, they're called spiritual practices, not spiritual emotions. Spiritual practices. So often in our upper click gatherings or in hopefully you're having these yarns in your home churches and stuff, it's like, how was your week when it came to your spiritual practices? And sometimes I'm like, it was a bit left foot, right foot. I just did it. I just walked in faith. And I just did the stuff. I didn't feel like doing it. It wasn't very zingy in the moment. I just did the stuff. Now, that's not all that occasionally it's like that, particularly if you're low. But if you choose to do those practices, you begin to feed your soul and bring you back up to a place of healthy engagement, the window of tolerance, a place of abiding in peace. And so 1 Thessalonians says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. People are like, oh, what's God's will for my life? How clear is that? That's surprising, right? Because we want, well, what do I do? In terms of like jobs and stuff. It's like, well, firstly, start with this stuff. Practice thanksgiving because that's God's will for your life. He wants you to practice gratitude. Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, devos, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, uh, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? And the peace of God comes when you do the stuff, when you practice it. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. It's connected to the whole thing. So... Uh, Again, this is left foot, right foot for me, but I can't tell you as a guy... And I get all everyone sees me on Sunday all frothed up, and you know, you get the best of Harvey, you know, these moments where I look like an extrovert and that I'm loving life every second of the day. I'm prone to melancholy. I'm more introverted, you know. I'm you know, I just want to be C.S. Lewis, read books, smoke pipes, and I don't know, drink single malts and just that and just not talk to anyone. That'd be sounds great. You know, I'm prone to that more melancholic disposition. I cannot tell you how much thanksgiving has changed. But I can't overstate it, how much the practice of gratitude has changed my life because it's mean that I've just more and more, especially over the last five or six years where I've really doubled down on the way, the practicing the way of Jesus, not just thinking about the way of Jesus or or attending the way of Jesus or thinking, like actually doing the stuff. I can't overstate how much my life's been transformed by practicing gratitude, by practice, by, by being thankful, by just the discipline of it. And you know like. I, again, you want to look at my my journal, two or three times a week. I'm like, all right, we're listing the stuff I'm grateful for. Do I feel thankful in the moment? No. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, Ugh, you know, man, well, I've got a what's going on here, Harvey? I, I'm struggling to think. I'm th-. and then it's like, just open your eyes, you moron! And it's like, literally, I'm like, wow, the grass looks great. Oh, that tree's pretty cool, you know. And then, oh, yeah, man, I love my kids. That was beautiful that time. And, and, you know, sometimes someone sent me some encouragement. I'm like, thank you for blah, blah, blah. I feel so encouraged by what they have just said or whatever. And it's like just, and then it's just like gets better. And And you know what it does? It starts, um, the Bible says you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you swim in negativity, which we do with the news cycle and social media, that's going to shape you. If you practice gratitude, what you're doing is telling your brain to look out for things that are a blessing. And then it's like, before you know it, slowly your brain starts to get changed where it begins to, by default, over many years, begin to go, wow, that's cool. Wow, look at all those boxes there. They're going to bless people. I went out for a surf on Friday that was just the most epic surf I've had in years. And I was on my own and I hooted and hollered. And I just was like, I literally I was on the top of a wave and I was just staring down this perfect wave and I was like, this is awesome! <laughs> and it's like, I wouldn't have done that a few years ago, I would have been like, can't believe I'm out here on my own when it's so epic. It would be so nice to have someone here with me. And you know, it's because I'm prone to that side of things. And slowly over time, I've just got to this point where even if on my own, I'm hooting and hollering about the goodness of God and the grace of, of God that's evident everywhere we look. We live in a world dripping with the grace and goodness of God if we had our eyes to see it. So I it's a practice. If you want to get out of that lethargic place, You you practice gratitude and thanksgiving, and John Tyson he's very good at this stuff. He wrote down this is what he wrote down in his journal one day: Your sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit is in you, you are part of the temple of the living God. He's way more spiritual than me. Me's like, oh, the grass is good. You are in the new covenant, which means you have a new heart, new will, new power, and a new holiness. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are part of the family of God. You are going to rule and reign as a king and a priest in the new heavens and the new earth. You are going to see Jesus face to face. You are going to live in a world where the glory of Jesus is so great, you don't need a sun or a moon because His glory will fill the place. You are going to live and witness this with your own eyes, where in your life or In the life to come, there will be no more pain or sorrow. All the the old things, unformed things are washed away, whatever you see there, and everything will be made new. And John, because this is the truest thing about who you are, you're going to make it today, homeboy. You're going to make it. (laughs) That's good. Imagine if you wrote that in your journal every day for a couple of months, like what that would do to your identity, to your self-esteem, to the way that you see the world. It would put into context all the other crap that robs you of your peace. Like just soaking in the truth of who you are. That's how you are transformed from glory to glory uh, by, by putting this stuff into practice. And I wish there was another way. Like, we're, we're lazy, right? I mean, I, I get annoyed at the microwave when it's doing two-minute noodles. You know, and it's like, you know, drive throughs seem like they're really slow these days. Has anyone noticed that? And I'm like, oh, this is meant to be just quick. This is taking ages, you know? We are so impatient. And, and I think that's the case with our own souls, where it's like we want to be formed into godly people without actually doing the mahi. You do the mahi, you get the treats. You put it into practice. What the, what the old church fathers would say, these are the means of grace, so it like doesn't negate the grace of God. No, these are the ways that we walk into the grace. They're the means, they're the practices that lead us to the grace-filled life of God. So the challenge is, is not, you know, how do I walk in peace with the fact that half my family is split on vaccines or something. It's got nothing to do with it. You put the stuff into practice, you'll be, you'll be a non-anxious presence. You'll be carrying the peace of God. And, and lastly, that's my final point, is we're actually called to give this peace away. We're actually like, oh, this is why I'm actually so excited about this season for us as a church. The pressure that we're being put under forces us to either go, I'm going to double down on the way of Jesus or I'm calling it a day. It's just great. It's a refining of the church. And what I love is that for the most part, people seem to be like, oh, I'm in, let's go. <laughs> I'm in. I'm tired of, of just living a half-pie Christian life. I actually want to put it into practice. And then when you do that, I promise you, it might happen overnight, but it will happen. It will happen. You will start experiencing the very things your soul's longing to experience on the daily. You'll feel the love of God for you. You'll enjoy the peace and you'll be filled with more and more joy. And while, all the, while there may be, it may be raging around us, oh my Lord, what a beautiful person to hang out with. I think many Christians have lost their witness in recent times because it's like, hold on a second, you don't smell like Jesus anymore in that tone with that thing. You're agitated. You're tuned up. Now, I pre- I've been all over the map. Don't get me wrong. There's no judgment there. But I'm like, let's lean in now and put the stuff into practice to either cast our cares or use thanksgiving to bring us back to that place of, place of peace. Because in Matthew, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. There's a, um, oh, thank you. Um, Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Uh, The question is, like, what are we sowing at the moment? Is it peace? Are we sowing peace into wider our wider families or into our workplaces or is our vibe online that of peace or whatever it may be? There's a, um, a guy called Thomas A. Kempis, a late uh, in the late medieval period, author of this very famous book The Imitation of Christ. This is a conviction burger. It's not a condemnation burger. I'm about to hand out a conviction burger because um, I got challenged by this. So let's just face the music together. First keep peace with yourself, says Thomas A. Kempis, and then you will be able to bring peace to others. The peaceful do more good than the learned. While the passionate turn even good to evil and are quick to believe evil, the peaceful, being good themselves, turn all things to good. The man who is at perfect ease is never suspicious, but the disturbed and the discontented spirit is upset by many suspicions. He neither rests himself nor permits others to do so. He often says what ought not to be said and leaves undone what ought to be done. He is concerned with the duties of others but neglects his own. Now all our peace in this life is found in humbly enduring suffering rather than in being free from it. He who knows best how to suffer (laughs) will enjoy the greater peace because he is the conqueror of himself, the master of of the world, a friend of Christ and an heir of heaven." Like that was written in the medieval age, post. I dare someone to post that online. <laughs> That'll be misconstrued every way you can go. But it, it's a big challenge because it's been the universal problem for humanity. If that was the case in the medieval ages, <laughs> how much so do we need to hear that challenge today? There were people of peace. It doesn't mean you can have you know you know we have strong opinions on all sorts of things. That's fine. Being a person of peace doesn't mean that you don't have strong opinions about certain things, but it means that at the deep core of who you are, you're carrying the peace because you're with the Prince of Peace. God Emmanuel is walking with you. How are you doing with that, friends? How's it going? <laughs> I loved what Ryan said, spoke over us as a. Um, oh, no, he spoke over little Eli, uh, that priestly blessing found in Numbers chapter 6. Because this is, uh, it's very interesting uh, what's said here. The priests said over the people, uh, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now the priests in the Old Testament spoke that blessing out over the people. What's interesting is that you're now a priest, You're now a priest as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and preaching to him. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You are now a priest in God's kingdom. We've got to get our heads around this. I may be the pastor of the church, but this is a priesthood of all believers. So we're all priests. And so the challenge is that uh, that you would so spend time with the Prince of Peace, that you can be a person that just uh, speaks blessing over our society, that you could bless people. And it may not be necessarily saying these words literally, but there's a sense that your presence would be be saying this to your workplaces and families and whatever it may be. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace. What does it look like for us to be a people that carry the peace of God wherever we go, to be a non-anxious presence in the world today? You can live that. That's for everyone. The question is how much you're willing to put the things into practice that enable you to carry that beautiful peace. It's there for us all. We're not just to receive the peace. We're now priests of God to carry that into every place because God is with us, that we would operate increasingly out of a spirit of peace rather than the cultural anxiety of our time. And so what I want to do as we come into land this morning is just pray, indeed, a fresh impartation of the peace of God into your life. It is a gift. Absolutely, it's a gift. But then that would put into practice the things that help us stay in that place of peace, in that window of tolerance, the place of abiding.